Hey mamas, I'm Alyssa, registered dietitian, picky eating specialist, and mama of two. You're listening to the Nutrition for Littles podcast, aimed at helping you raise healthy, independent eaters. Each week, we will tackle topics like picky eating, mealtime struggles, baby led weaning, and so much more. Let's jump right into today's topic. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, If you noticed or not, I've been taking some time off. I batched some episodes before I wanted maternity leave, and then we've been reposting some favorites, some highly downloaded episodes from the past um, and re-uploaded them for you guys to enjoy. I know that they are favorites from the past, um, but I needed a few extra weeks, so I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Hopefully, they were still very helpful. I know that for myself, sometimes I'll forget stuff and need kind of a reminder. So hopefully that was helpful for you as well. But I'm back and I'm super excited to be recording some new episodes for you here on the podcast. Um, And today we're going to kick it off with a like rapid fire Q&A. So I put up a question box on my Instagram. If you're not already following me on Instagram, I'm over at Nutrition for Littles over there. Um, And I do an Ask Me Anything relatively frequently, although it's been less, you know, during the maternity leave. But I put up a question box and I thought I would just kind of rapid fire go through some of the questions that I got, um, especially the ones that popped up frequently. So I'm going to go ahead and hop into that, but make sure you're following me over there so you can ask any questions that you need. Um, I always like to take one or two and deep dive on a podcast or I'll answer them on stories um, or do something like this. So I'm excited to get into it. All right. So one of the biggest questions that came up, of course, I just had my third baby, if you're new around here. Uh, So that's been exciting, but I got a lot of questions about the transition. So one of the biggest questions I got was, what has been the hardest transition for you from zero to one, one to two, or two to three? So obviously, that's all I've had experienced. And my son right now is just a little shy of three months. So we're still new into it. Um, I would definitely say zero to one is like generally the hardest for people just because it truly is all of a sudden becoming a parent. Like that's such a big transition in your life. Being a parent all of a sudden seeps into every area of your life. It just does. And I think so many of us tell ourselves like, oh, once I become a parent, it's not going to affect X, Y, or Z but it does. It affects everything. And you change. You you really do change. So I would say in general, that is like the hardest transition because your entire la- life just starts to like shift. Um, whereas every kid you add on to that, like you're still a parent. You know what I mean? So like it's different. However, that being said, I think the most demanding physically, emotionally, mentally, everything has been from two to three. It has been a whirlwind. I did not expect how much time it would take for our family to settle into being a family of five. I thought it would be much more seamless. I thought it would be more joyous. And listen, I've done a transition before, right? From zero to one and one to two. And it was relatively seamless. It felt so much more natural um, in general. And yes, I was surprised with zero to one how much work it was and how constant it is. And like, you know, it's 24 seven, but until you live it, you don't realize it's 24 seven. But from two to three kids has been um, kicking our butts a little bit, to be honest. We didn't expect our two older kids kind of had some um, regression in behavior that we weren't expecting. We didn't really have when it went, when we went from one to two. Um, And so that was really hard. We had some behavior issues that they would never say, like it's because we added another family member, but that's clearly the big transition that happened. And so having a lot of grace and a lot of help and telling people that I'm struggling has been really helpful. 
Um, but I know that's not the case for every family. Some people have said from one to two was by far their hardest transition. So, you know, it's just different for every family. And I don't know if we're done at three or not, but I'll keep you posted. Um, but I will say coming here and I, I told myself when we first had our son, um, you know, give it three months, like the first three months are just so wonderful and so hard and so demanding, um, that I felt like, I remember like every six weeks, something would shift and it would get like a little bit easier. It would just change. And so, you know, everything's a season. So I've just been telling myself, like, get through the first three months. And sure enough, we're coming up on three months and everything has finally kind of like settled. The dust has settled. Some of the behaviors have regulated. We've worked through some new things um, and it's gotten so much easier. And this is all with like a relatively easy baby. Like he's not colicky. He's not difficult in any which way. He sleeps well. He eats well. He is growing well. Like, so this is really hard and I have an easy baby. So I could not imagine the parents who have colicky kids, difficulty sleeping with them, you know, whatever difficulty with growth, all those sorts of things. So And of course, my heart goes out to any parent who's struggling with that, especially any single parent who has multiple kids or even one kid. I just think of you all the time because I literally will pass off the baby or the toddler or whatever to my husband and be like, what would I do if this was not an option? (laughs) And we have a relatively easy um, situation at home. You know, my husband works from home, which is really nice. So we don't have commute time. Um, I have a very flexible job, obviously, all the things. So even with everything in place, it's still freaking hard. (laughs) So hopefully that answers it for you, Uh, but not to scare you away from having three because it's also been the biggest blessing and the most amazing transformation of our family to watch um, our older kids become siblings. uh, And again, obviously for my oldest son, and just it's really fun too to have two of the same gender uh, and watch them connect. uh, And that's really fun. So anyways, okay. This is not rapid fire. I need to get faster. Okay. Someone asked how to wean a 20 month old who likes to nurse to sleep. So weaning is so hard with my son. He kind of weaned himself. And so I kind of had this like, oh, it'll be easy, you know? And with my daughter, she loved to nurse and it was really hard. And so, um, what I would say is two or three things. One, um, spend time with them that's not nursing to connect with them in a different way. So maybe that's bath time, maybe that's reading a book and try to do it before bedtime, um, like before the bedtime routine. Don't like read the book as part of the bedtime routine, if that makes sense. So do it separately, um, but spend that intentional time bonding over something different because a lot of times nursing obviously is a lot about that bonding and that connection and that hormonal um, release. The second thing is to slow or decrease the number of minutes that you're nursing. So instead of like a full 20 minute session, maybe it's 10 minutes or five minutes, or you just start to kind of wean the amount of time that you're doing, um, add a bedtime snack, some solid food, some milk and a cup at 20 months old. Um, you can have whole milk or any sort of um, milk alternative if you'd rather, but we did whole milk. Um, so you could add that to kind of fill their belly so it's less for nutrition. Uh, likely this is more about comfort. And so finding a different routine, um, holding them in a different way was huge for me. So my daughter, by the time she was three, almost three and a half, still nursing, she would kind of like straddle me and sit like straight on me, almost like how you'd sit on 
I don't know, like a horse. (laughs) And so I just found that anytime she was in that position, like if I would lift her up that way and hug her, she would immediately want to nurse. And so I just started holding her in different positions and that really helped. And the other thing you can do is pass off bedtime to a partner for a while. If you can, uh, such a great kind of distancing, you say good night, um, and then you leave and go from there. Also have incredible grace with yourself. This process really does take time. We had a ton of like, it was not linear. It was like up and down weaning. And then we're back to nursing back and forth, back and forth. So have grace with yourself as well. Over 75% of moms who follow me over on Instagram report that they struggle to offer a variety to their picky eaters. Yet we know that offering a variety of foods is not only important for combating picky eating, but also vital for their overall health. Revamp My Rebuild and Expand Variety Meal Plan is designed to increase variety and exposures to new foods while decreasing your stress. This meal plan takes family staples and builds on them week by week to drastically increase the variety your little one is exposed to in just one month. What that means for you is you can have peace of mind knowing that you're serving them a variety of food while taking the guesswork out of it. Revamp uses methods I teach inside Table Talk like bridging and food chaining. And no, you don't have to understand these techniques completely because the system does it for you. It's a 70-page system with over 100 total recipes for breakfast, lunch, snacks, and dinner, plus my top tricks, favorite gear, and other fun surprises along the way. You can follow the rotation day by day for 30 days, or you can pick and choose your favorites to filter in on your own time. So if you're stuck in a rut with meals and want to try something new while also helping your picky eater eat a bigger variety, this system is for you. You can click the link in the description box below to grab your copy today. All right, now back to the show. Okay, favorite quick meals when things are crazy and you need to feed the newborn and the toddler. 100% hands down is breakfast. Like any sort of breakfast food, any time of the day. It can be snack, it can be lunch, it could be dinner. Of course, it can be breakfast. Um, I'm always like a scrambled eggs, piece of toast, maybe some sort of like fruit or something cut up on the side. Uh, maybe throw some spinach in there if I'm feeling fancy, but most of the time, any sort of quick, essentially breakfast is what I would do. Other than that, um, if it's uh, like for the toddler, of course I still do eggs and things like that, but we do quesadillas are one of our favorite because you can mix up the inside of the quesadilla or even like the type of tortilla you use all the time, um, to make it really easy. So whatever cheese I have on hand, maybe some beans, if I have it on hand, some leftover like cooked meat, if we have that, um, or even things like sweet potato, like mashed up sweet potato, all that can go in a quesadilla. So we do quesadillas all the time for a quick meal, specifically for the toddler. Okay. This person said they love to help in the kitchen and prepare the food, but then the food is yucky when he sits down. This is super common. I hear this a lot too with grocery shopping. They'll bring their kids grocery shopping. They want to try all these new foods. And then when they get home, that food is dead to them. So encourage, continue including them in the kitchen. What I would do is open it up to taste testing or allowing them to eat while they're preparing the food. So we kind of have a rule in our family where we can't just like come in the kitchen, grab food, walk away and eat it wherever we're going or whatever we're doing. But if they're in the kitchen helping me with dinner, um, watching me having dinner or preparing dinner, they're allowed to snack on the foods. And so I would open that up to letting them try it 
in the kitchen. It's oftentimes way less pressure during preparation than it is sitting at the meal. Okay, combating picky eating in a seven-year-old. So honestly, the tips that I share here on the podcast, on my Instagram, um, and that I teach in Table Talk all still apply to children at least through the research through age 10, but honestly, even beyond that. And inside Table Talk, I have a bonus section. Um, So if you're a Table Talker, go check out the bonus video that teaches you how to age um, everything that you learn inside Table Talk with your picky eater as they grow up. So a lot of times it's just being able to have more communication, more conversation with them around these foods. They kind of lose that black and white thinking and are able to think a little bit more nuanced so you can have more conversations with them, which is really beautiful. But the tactics still work. They're the same. And I will say that there's usually another spike of picky eating. I've seen it in my own son when they go to school, when they're around their peers, when they realize that other people are saying no to foods that they typically say yes to. Um, It's kind of like a research and picky eating. And that's that's the truth of the matter is that picky eating comes and goes, ebbs and flows, and we can do what we can do to control it. Um, but the roles are still the same. The actions you take are really still very much the same. They're just a little bit more involved and communicative. Okay. What do you do when you offer a meal with safe foods, but they still refuse everything? That's okay. They don't have to eat. Have you ever skipped a meal? Have you ever been so stressed out or so hard overworked or so tired or so enjoying what you're doing with a friend that you've skipped a meal? Probably, right? Like we've all skipped meals here and there. We've all also had to eat more than normal, right? And so their hunger levels are going to shift and change. It might be a sign that they're getting sick. It might be a sign that they're distracted. They're excited. They're, you know, their body might be feeling a certain way. And we don't know what they're feeling in their body. We also don't know what they need. In fact, a table talker uh, recently reached out to me and told me that they have learned how to listen to their kids and and respect the fact that their kids don't want to eat. And previously, she would have said, three more bites, finish your plate. Uh, you can't leave the table until you finish you know, your serving or whatever. Um, and she didn't do that. And it turned out the next day, her son uh, got sick. And so she was like, wow, I'm so grateful that I didn't push him to eat foods when his body actually knew better than I did what he needed. Um, So absolutely, it's okay for them to skip meals here and there. Of course, we don't want this to be a continual occurrence. We want to still offer foods regularly and consistently. So that doesn't mean that they get to come back five minutes later and say, mom, I'm hungry after you clean up lunch. That does mean that they have another eating opportunity right around the corner where they'll have more safe foods available to fill up their belly. Okay, snack ideas for toddlers that are quick but healthy. Okay, so some of my favorite snacks are really just looking at how can I pair a little bit of protein with some fat and some fiber. So that's that like PFF formula. So protein, fat, and carbs with fiber. So what I would look for is some sort of protein in our house. Some really fast, easy ones are typically dairy-based. I know not everyone eats dairy, um, but string cheese, cottage cheese um, are great options. Yogurt, you can of course do a dairy-free yogurt if you'd like. Um, But those are some really great, easy protein ideas. Some other things might be like meat sticks, of course, choking hazard um, awareness there of how you cut it up and how you serve it depending on their age. Um, Even like little deli meat here and there, of course, Um, I'll have a, I'm probably going to do an entire episode on that, but I'll definitely answer to my Instagram about what I feel about deli meat. Um, It's not an everyday food, but you could do something like that. Even cut up um, meat from a previous day or previous dinner, you could add to a snack plate. Remember, snack doesn't have to look like snack foods. It can look like dinner foods. And then pairing that with some sort of fruit or vegetable, um, even some sort of spread or dip, and then uh, make sure that you just have some sort of fiber in there. So whether that's a raw fruit or vegetable, um, even cooked too, um, and then the dip usually handles the fat. So 
some ones in our house that we typically see are something like uh, string cheese and a piece of fruit, um, cottage cheese and some fruit on top, some hummus or guacamole cups. Sometimes I get them from Costco with some vegetables or fruit to dip in those. Um, Sometimes some crackers and cheese are some of our favorites. And then we'll also do, of course, depending on age and choking hazards, some nuts or nut clusters um, that they can have. Nuts are a great source of protein as well. You just need to watch out no whole nuts until five. Um, So chopping them up or something along those lines can be really great into like granola bites, um, like energy balls are great. Uh, We do chia seed pudding and yeah, and match those with some sort of Again, just keeping that fat in mind as well to keep them fuller for longer. So hopefully that helps as well. Um, Tips for older sibling while you're nursing or caring for baby. Yeah, I am still figuring this out. (laughs) So the biggest thing that I've been trying to do is when I know that it's time to nurse my son um, or it's coming up on time, I'll try to spend really intentional time with my toddler, with my three-year-old, my daughter, um, like for like 10 minutes before I need to nurse him. It doesn't always work out perfectly. It doesn't always curb the behaviors when I'm actually nursing him, Um, but I think it does help because she gets really jealous of when I'm nursing him. In fact, lately I've been nursing him on top of her. Like she literally will lay across my lap and then he's on top of her while I'm nursing him. So I don't know that I'm the best person to ask, but that seems to work too. It's like she's still involved. She likes to be a part of it. Um, I include her in like the burping um, of him or changing his diaper, letting her, you know, find the burp cloth, like be a part of it as well has been really helpful. I've seen people have like little kits or baskets of toys that they only take out when their little one is nursing so that their toddler only see these sees these toys when mom is feeding baby. I think that could be really excellent. I haven't set that up yet in our home, but it sounds like such a great idea. So I think that could be really fun. The other thing too, is I've been reading to our daughter, um, when I'm nursing. So reading books, I can still do while I'm nursing, playing silly games, um, like I spy or, uh, this or that, you know, the opposite game or something like that, just verbal games that I can play with her. Um, I'll ask her to go find something like almost like a a treasure hunt and I'll go find something shiny, bring me something shiny, you know? So some sort of games like that can really help. I'll also save her screen time for when it was really rough because she used to come up and just like hit him anytime I nursed him. Um, When that was really tough, I would give her screen time almost every time I nursed him. So it was like, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a few times a day. Um, And that was obviously when my husband was working. Otherwise, I would hand her off to him um, and kind of split the duty. But, you know, save that screen time for smaller increments throughout the day that we need it um, to distract or redirect. So hopefully that's helpful on that one. Um, I'm a short order cook. Please help. How do I get my kids to eat just like us? So the big one here is you just start making dinners that everyone has a safe food on the table. So we just include at least one safe food. So let's say you're making meatloaf and your kid is like, absolutely not, I'm not going to eat that. But you serve it with mashed potatoes, which is a safe food that your kid likes to eat. Um, you also maybe serve it with a salad, right? And so you're like, okay, these are the these are the foods we have. They at least have one safe food, the mashed potatoes on the table. You enjoy all the foods you're cooking. Your, you know, maybe your seven-year-old only likes the meatloaf, but doesn't like mashed potatoes. Everyone has something on the table that's available to everybody as a safe food. So you it, you kind of have to like rip the bandaid and just start cooking that way. It also means that you might have nights where you're eating macaroni and cheese and hot dogs or whatever their favorite food is um, to incorporate it as well. Giving them some sort of say or influence over what foods are on the menu when or what sides are offered. Now, I don't mean like give them complete control, 
but maybe you ask them, hey, we're having, I don't know, spaghetti for dinner. Would you like broccoli or cauliflower for the vegetable? And then they kind of get like a little say or something like that. So I think um, just giving them selective choices that help build um, trust that you will still be including some of their favorite foods. You will still be including favorite foods always can be really helpful. Um, but that also means we don't always get to make like the dinners of our dreams. And sometimes we just have to be a little bit more compromising as well. Um, and it starts off slow and it does get better. Okay. How to still date your partner. I love this question because we're coming out of a, the newborn haze season. So previously we had been really good about going on date nights, um, and getting babysitters, which I know isn't available to everybody. Um, every other week, every other week, it was really important for us to get out of the house, have someone watching our kids and putting them down to bed and being able to have adult conversation. My oldest son doesn't go to bed. Um, early. So he's up almost all night. So it's really hard for us to have one-on-one time after bedtime, quote unquote, like most parents. Um, But if you have kids that go to sleep, I would highly encourage you to pick one night a week. Uh, We used to try to do Tuesday nights where it was like, okay, after the kids are in bed, no phones, no TV, um, no work, it's strictly just like him and I time. You can also try like doing like a quick family dinner of something really easy on you, mac and cheese, quesadillas, um, pizza night. And then after they go to bed, having a more adult dinner, cooking it together, sitting down and enjoying a meal without a thousand interruptions um, is huge. So starting really small, you can start at home if you can't do a babysitter or getting family involved to help you with the kids. Um, but we always really prioritize that one night every other week to get out of the house and do something. And then again, um, having like no screen, no phone, no work time in your day, even though our son is like still technically awake up at his room. It's easier now because he's older, so he can like read books and stuff. Uh, before it was just like constant need on us. And so it's gotten a little bit easier where we can still spend some quality time together. So we'll play games. We'll just chat. We'll, um, you know, just kind of date each other, do something kind of extra fun, like get dressed up and watch a movie or something like that. Um, but we're not watching a movie and scrolling our phones. We're watching a movie and, and like, enjoying it together. So doing something like that at home. We love to sit out on our porch or back deck and light like we have these little mini like fire pits, but like they're basically like a big candle. So we'll do that and enjoy like a hot beverage or something out on the porch together after the kids go to bed um, or something along those lines. So those are kind of our favorite, but we absolutely still prioritize dates, but we haven't since we had our third. So now it's time to get back in that. I was desperately asking my mom to watch the kids. I was like, I need to go on a date with my husband. Can you please watch all three? And um, so we're getting that on the books and just figuring things out to do what we can to really prioritize that. Okay, let me know if you relate, but before I became a mom, I really pictured all my kids' toys being like monochromatic and beautiful and strewn about the house, but I didn't mind because it kind of matched the decor. Little did I know that so many toys come into your home that are not your favorite. You know, the ones that overstimulate me with loud noises and flashing lights and movement and bright colors. And uh, yeah, I don't know if you're anything like me, but that stresses me out. And little did I know this, but that actually stresses our kids out too. So lucky for me, there are toys out on the market that are easier for kids to play with, more simple, more open-ended, and actually support their development and progress. And that is exactly why I have fallen in love with Love Every Toys. 
Okay, if you are new to Love Every, they are basically Montessori-inspired toys that are tailored for your child's specific age and stage of development. And what that means is these toys are going to best support where their brain development is right now and help them continue to progress and learn the skills that they need to know. I absolutely love that about them. Plus, these toys are quality and long-lasting. They're going to last you through multiple kids. And these are the toys in our home that my kids spend the most time playing with, truly. And even when they're scattered amongst the house, they look like they're part of the decor. I'm telling you, they are beautiful. So I'm going to go ahead and link their site below. Make sure to go check out their play kits, what they have for your child in their stage. You're not going to regret this. All right, now back to the show. Okay, do I serve more of a mixed dish if they're just picking out their favorite things? So this is really up to you, but here's what I will say, just be consistent. So if you decide, yes, you're gonna serve more um, when they're only picking out their favorite things, or no, I'm not gonna be doing that, then just stay consistent. Every time you serve a mixed dish, um, try to stick to that same rule. For us, they have to finish what they have on their plate before they get more. I make some small exceptions if it's like, not a large portion of whatever I'm serving. I'm trying to think of like a good example of that might've happened recently. Um, Oh, I know we, I ordered pizza at a friend's house and there were mushrooms on top of the pizza. Um, But there was also green peppers and pepperonis and onions. And my son was like, can I take off the mushrooms? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Like you can take them off. He's still touching them, still getting exposure to them, Um, picks them off, ate the pizza and then wanted more. Like I would give him more. But if he took off like all the toppings and the cheese and didn't eat the crust, like that might be kind of, hey, no, we need to eat like what we have in front of us before we serve more. Um, But again, it's just about being as consistent as you can when that comes up. Someone, I I shouldn't say this, a lot of you guys asked how I've been, which I'm so grateful for. Um, I've been really good these past two to three weeks. (laughs) Prior to that, again, like I said, it's just been a really difficult family transition, but now I feel like we're finally settling. As far as like healing from birth, I felt like I healed really well pretty quickly. Um, Obviously, this is my third. I had him at home. He was (laughs) born in four hours. Like it was intense, but also peaceful. I'll have an entire podcast episode on the birth story um, for those of you who are interested, but I felt like I healed well. Um, I've had some definitely like mental dips of like hard days, blue days, um, but I've been able to talk to like my sister-in-law and some friends and my mom about those days and just kind of like bring in other people to it because my husband's living it. So he knows it of course as well, but it's also been a hard season on him too. So it's nice to be able to reach out to other people and just kind of release it and let people know like, oh, it's just been like a really blue day for me. Uh, it's just been hard. And so that's just hormones. And I know that's just hormones. And I know that that fog will lift, but I have plans in place if things tend to get worse because they always can. So, um, definitely been working through that, but overall we've been really good. And like I said, it's coming around this corner of three months has been, much, much better. And we're working towards um, getting on a schedule. And my husband went back to work and, you know, just kind of working through becoming more consistent as a family has really been helping me too. like having more structure um, in my day, more consistency, being able to depend or at least getting closer to depend on nap times and bedtimes and all those sorts of things has been really helpful as well. How do you manage constant requests for fun foods, cookies, ice cream, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I try to offer them frequently. Yeah, so this is a really great one. So the first thing is to keep calm and 
not make this a big deal. Because if they see it's a big deal, if they see you hemming and hawing, if they see you stressed about it, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to be like, hmm, what's that? And they're going to poke at it, right? And they're going to keep asking. So try to keep your calm. Try to focus on um, letting them know that you've heard them validate their need or their want for this food and then let them know when it is coming. So if they're asking for ice cream every single night, you could say, hmm, ice cream sounds really good. That sounds delicious. We're not going to have ice cream tonight, but what about Friday night? Let's have it Friday night. Um, We can get some ice cream. What kind of flavor do you want? So make a plan with them on what or when they're going to eat that food. Um, And also you can kind of give them like a fantasy of like, oh, ice cream sounds so good. What kind of ice cream would you get? Oh, what would you put on top of it? Chocolate, sprinkles. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. You just built like my dream ice cream. That sounds so good. Should we pretend like we're eating ice cream right now? And actually letting them kind of like fantasize about eating these foods as well, whenever they want them, um, can be really helpful. And this is not just like treats and candy and things like that. Um, All foods, when they can't have, you know, the dinner that they want, spaghetti, because you're having chicken pot pie or whatever it is, um, you know, letting them experience this as well. And this is just about kids trying to figure out their own autonomy, uh, being able to verbalize what they want and us letting them know that we hear them and we have a plan to meet that need um, at some point. And then the final question that came up too was, how is my son doing in school? He's doing really well. Um, I did that episode a while back about homeschooling and we did decide to enroll him in school again next year. But honestly, we're we're playing it like by ear. <laughs> it's like semester by semester, we're not 100% certain that he will go, but we did re-enroll him, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but he's doing really well. He he likes a lot of it. It's hard to be in such like an environment, I think, of like grading and comparing to other kids. That's hard for all of us. And so we're just kind of like keeping a pulse on that and making sure that that's not giving him too much stress or anxiety or you know, just focusing on the wrong things. And so we continue to instill what our values and beliefs are for him and what we want for him and encourage him in the direction we want him to go, even if school is a little more focused on things that necessarily don't align with what we value. Um, But we work together and, and realize that an environment with 22 kids where, you know, the purpose of that is to educate them is going to be very different than what it would look like in a homeschool setting. And I I want to say I completely understand that. I don't because I've never done it and uh, nor probably will I ever. But I do think um, there's a lot of value that he gets from going to school and we love his teacher and love his classmates. So there's a lot of really good, but he is doing really well. Uh, We had some struggles going to school in December and January, actually like showing up and getting in the car and getting in um, or to school on time, obviously, again, with that transition and kind of behavioral things with both of our older kids. And so that's gotten a lot easier as well. So just kind of smoothing out everywhere. But thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. Again, follow me over at Nutrition for Littles. If you haven't already, that's where I pop up these question boxes to be able to hear back from you guys. Thanks so much for being here. And those are all the questions we have for today, but I will see you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you're walking away with some tangible ways to bring peace to your mealtimes. And if you like this episode, please subscribe and tell all your mom friends. And as always, the best compliment you can give me is leaving a rating and written review, which also helps other mamas like you find this podcast too. You can find more from me on Instagram at Nutrition for Littles. Do you have a question you'd like me to answer on the podcast? Email me at alyssa at nutritionforlittles.com. All right, until next time, mamas.